0: Please, congregation, turn your Bibles this morning to the Gospel according to John, to John chapter 8. We'll read verses 12 to 36 together The connection with Article 10 of our Confession of Faith and what we believe concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 12, this is God's holy word. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. For if you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away. And you will seek me and you will die in your sin." Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but... "'Speak just as my Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. "'He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. "'As he was saying these things, many believed in him. "'So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, "'If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, "'and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free.' "'They answered him, "'We are the offspring of Abraham.' I never been enslaved to anyone. How is that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I'd you turn also in our Forms and Prayers books to Article 10 of our Confession. Article 10, page 162 in the Forms and Prayers books. Article 10, the deity of Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, is the only Son of God, eternally begotten, not made nor created, for then he would be a creature. He is one in essence with the Father, co eternal, the exact image of the person of the Father and the reflection of his glory, being in all things like him. He is the Son of God, not only from the time he assumed our nature, but from all eternity as the following testimonies teach us when they are taken together. Moses says that God created the world. And John says that all things were created by the Word, which he calls God. The letter to the Hebrews says God made the world by his Son. And Paul says God created all things by Jesus Christ. And so it must follow that he who is called God, the Word, the Son, and Jesus Christ already existed when all things were created by him. Therefore, the prophet Micah says that his origin is from ancient times, from eternity. And Hebrews says that he has neither beginning of days nor end of life. So then he is the true eternal God, the Almighty, whom we invoke, worship, and serve. This the church of Christ does believe and confess throughout the world Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the danger that we face this morning is that we should consider an article like this, an article concerning the deity of Christ and simply take it for granted. The danger that we face that we should perhaps think to ourselves, this is also very old hat. Do we really need yet yet another sermon on the deity of Christ? Don't we already know this? Perhaps some of us are thinking that this morning. Why do we need to hear sermons over and over and over again on the divine nature of Christ and and reacquaint ourselves over and over again with these old archaic words and expressions like eternally begotten and and one essence with the Father and and co-eternal? One pastor once expressed his concern this way. It is often my worry he said that familiarity breeds contempt. And I worry that we as God's people do not always feel the weight of what God's Word says. And what he meant by that is that it's often the case in this life that the more we come to know a person, the more we don't want to spend time with that person. Isn't that sometimes the case? The more we get to to know someone, the more we come to know their weaknesses and their failures, the less we want to, to be with that person. And the danger that we face as Reformed Christians that we should come to the Bible and come to the truths of our confession with that kind of attitude and mentality, an attitude that says, don't we already know this? Do we really need to hear this over and over again? And so whenever we consider this article of our faith, we need to receive this truth in faith afresh and anew. For there was once a time, said John, when no one had ever seen God, but Christ came into the world to make God known. And knowing God, said Christ, is eternal life. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, says the author of Hebrews, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir over all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The author of Hebrews brings together these doctrines of, of creation, redemption, where he tells us that these two doctrines converge in the person of Jesus Christ, who, who not only upholds the universe, but who continues to uphold you and me as he sits at his Father's right hand. And so, congregation, the deity of Christ is no yawning matter. For This doctrine of the deity of the Son lies at the very heart of our salvation. Wholeheartedly we insist, don't we, that all our salvation is, is all of God from first to last. Wholeheartedly we, we confess not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. For I bless the Christ of God. I rest in love divine. And with unfaltering lip and heart, I call this Savior mine. See, congregation of Christ is anything less than true and eternal God. Then salvation can no longer be said to be of God. And if salvation is not all of God, then there can be no salvation at all. But if Christ really is who He says He is, if He really is the, the Son of God and light of the world, we must not only acknowledge Him as Savior, but also as Lord. Every aspect of our lives must be lived for His glory. And that's what we discover here in John's Gospel, here in, in chapter 8, our Lord is is engaging these Pharisees, these false teachers who, who despise the idea that salvation is, is all of God from first to last, who, who despise the idea that salvation is all of grace. These Pharisees, as we all know, despise the notion that, that the Christ of God, the Savior of the world, could, could come into the world in so lowly a state, in so lowly a fashion as Christ has done. They Judge according to the flesh, says Jesus, according to, to what their eyes can see. They judge by appearances. And so although they claim to know God and to love God with all their rules and all their works righteousness, as it turns out, they don't really know God at all. But Jesus says in verse 19, But you know neither me nor my Father, for if you knew me, that is, if you truly knew me as I am, then you would know the Father also. This, of course, is how it would be for each and every one of us, were it not for the Spirit who breaks into our hearts by His power. If left to ourselves and to our own devices, we too would be just like these Pharisees, judging according to the flesh, according to what our eyes can see. If we confess this confession of Article 10, then what Christ says to Peter, he says also to us, blessed are you for this has not been born of the flesh, but it has been born from him who is in heaven. So as we consider our passage and confession together this morning, I'd like for us to consider in the first place Christ's witness, and then the second place Christ's warning, and then finally Christ's worship. We begin with his witness. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here in verse 12 of chapter 8, we come to one of the great I am sayings of Jesus. And as many of us will perhaps already know, whenever Jesus uses that expression, I am, he's ascribing to himself the divine name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah from the Old Testament. That You'll recall, boys and girls, when Moses saw God in the burning bush and said, Who shall I say that you are? What did God say? God said, I am who I am. You shall say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, Jehovah, I am has sent me to you. This is the divine name that Jesus is ascribing to himself. He says, egg away me, I, I am. When he says, I am, I am the light of the world, he is identifying himself with the Father. He's, he's saying that he himself is every bit as much Yahweh as the Father is. For according to his divine nature, we confess Christ is the only Son of God, eternally begotten, not made nor created. For then he would be a creature, but he is one in essence with the Father, co-eternal, the exact image of the person of the Father and the reflection of His glory being in all things like Him. He is the Son of God. Not only from the time He assumed our nature, but from all eternity. John says at the very start of his gospel that Christ was with God in the beginning. The prophet Micah says that His coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, that is, from eternity. Through crying, says Paul, in the author of Hebrews, God created the world. He is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. And for us men and for our salvation, He came down from heaven and was made man. And so when we sing those cherished words of Psalm 27, Jehovah is my light, we are, we're singing of Christ himself, Christ. Jesus is my light and my salvation near. Whom shall my soul affright or cause my heart to fear? And this congregation has been the Apostle John's burden throughout his ministry. When you read throughout his, his various writings, this you'll discover has been John's greatest burden to to press upon his readers that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He began his gospel by affirming that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was was with God. And then throughout his gospel, he, he ascribes those I am statements to him, affirming again and again that Christ is God in the flesh. He is God himself. At the end of his gospel, what does John say? He says, I have written all these things. That you may know and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. If you turn over to his first epistle, he says in chapter 2, verse 22, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. In chapter 5, verse 5, he asks, Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? For whoever has the Son has life, verse 12, but whoever does not have the Son does not have life. If you turn to the second epistle, he drives home the same point again, reaffirming for his readers at the very start of that letter, that grace and mercy and peace come to us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, who is the Father's Son, And he says to his readers, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, but whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And so it is in his third epistle as well, and he says, I have no greater joy than, than to hear that my children are, are walking in the truth. And no doubt what he means by walking in the truth is walking steadfastly in this confession that Jesus Christ really is who he says he is, that he really is the the eternal Son of God. And We could easily go on into Revelation where John drives the point further and further, over and over again, this, this truth of our confession, ascribing to Christ the, the glory of God for having washes washed of all our sins. In Revelation 21, verse 5, Christ says, Behold, I am making all things new. And who can say that but God Himself? Yes, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the light of the world. This is His witness. This is His testimony here in John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We all recognize that we live in an increasingly darkening world. We live in a world that lives in in rebellion against God and rebellion against the Word of God and and this, he knows, the way it's always been ever since our first parents fell into sin. Darkness invaded the world. And so the human condition from that point on was, was characterized and has been characterized as a, as a condition of darkness, of blindness, both morally and spiritually. Despite all the discoveries of, of art and science, says J.C. Ryle, the words of Isaiah 60, verse 2, still. Ring true, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness covers the people. But what is Jesus telling us here? Jesus is telling us that in him the fulfillment of what Isaiah would go on to say has has come to pass, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Nations shall come to your light and kings, to the brightness of your rising. In the midst of this ever-darkening world, Christ declares himself to be the only remedy. He has risen like the sun, says Ryle, to diffuse light and life and peace and salvation. And he invites all who yearn for spiritual help and guidance to turn to him and to take him for their leader. For what the sun is to our solar system, the center of light and heat and life and fertility, Christ is to us. For in him was life, says John, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and cannot overcome it. We need to let this truth sink deep into our hearts this morning. Because there are so many false lights in this world all around us, false lights that seek to to capture our attention, the, the false lights of human reason, the false lights of, of human imagination and philosophy and the ideologies of the world. And these false lights seek to allure us away from the one true light, and they are oftentimes powerful lights because they, they appeal to that fleshly reasoning of self that says we don't, we don't need God to, to accomplish light and healing in the world. We can do it on our own. you study the history of the world, what do you discover? That even the greatest of human empires have have not succeeded. They have never succeeded in, in bringing about this illumination of the world. Everyone has toppled over and fell. From the days of Adam until now, man has walked in darkness, but Christ says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but he will have the light of life. What Christ is saying here, people of God, is that those who follow him will not be left in ignorance. Those who follow him do not need to go on living under the clouds of confusion and uncertainty, but but they shall see the way to heaven itself. For He testifies, He bears witness to us that He is not only the light of the world, but He is the bread of life and the door to heaven. He is the good shepherd. He is the the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. He is true, eternal God, the Almighty. And so, the grand secret of knowing God, says Ryle, is to draw near to him through Jesus Christ. Approached from this side, he said, there is nothing that, need, that needs to make us afraid. And viewed from this standpoint, from the standpoint of the divine Son of God, God is the sinner's greatest friend. And so, congregation, you see that to reject Christ as the Son of God is, is to reject the friendship of God. And that's what Jesus shows us here in verses 21 and following. To reject the the deep love of God, to reject Christ is to reject the love of God because only in the the person of Christ is the love of God made manifest. God is love, says John in in his first epistle. And this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world. We might live through Him in this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To reject Christ as the Son of God is to reject the love of God. To reject Christ as the Son of God is to reject life itself. That's what Christ is saying to us here when He he says these hard-hearted Pharisees in verses 21 and 23 and 24, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come, for you are from below, but I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. And I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Commenting on this passage, J.C. Ryle writes, this passage contains deep things, so deep, that we have no line to fathom the depth of them. But it also contains in the opening verses, some things which are clear, plain, and unmistakable. What Christ is essentially saying to these unbelieving Jews is this, you've been following me around throughout all Jerusalem, and you've been taking issue with everything I've been saying, and you've rejected me. And there is going to come a time when you will seek me, but it will be too late for a day of final separation between light and darkness is coming. lesson before us as one pastor is a very painful one. That such a Savior as the Lord Jesus, so full of love, so willing to save, should never be sought in vain. And a sorrowful thought is a sorrowful thought and yet so often this is the case. A man may have many religious feelings about Christ without, ever, without any saving religion. Sickness, sudden affliction, the fear of death, the failure of, of usual source of comfort, all these causes may draw out of a man a good deal of religiousness. And under, the, and under the immediate pressures of these things, he may say his prayers fervently and exhibit strong spiritual feelings and profess for a season to, to seek Christ. And yet all this time, his heart may never be touched at all. And so Christ is graciously warning us this morning. You can either willingly bow the knee today, you can either look to him today in faith, in faith and confess that he is the, the Son of God, or you will be forced to your knees in the last day when, when every tongue will confess and every knee will bow when every man shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the Father. There is coming a day when it will be too late, when light and darkness shall finally be separated forever. According to Article 37 of our confession, when the time appointed by our Lord has come, you will come down from heaven and all human creatures will appear in person before that great judge. The books will be opened and the dead will be judged according to the things they did in the world, whether good or evil. It will be too late. And so Christ is appealing to these hard-hearted Pharisees saying today is the day. A day is coming when you will seek me and it will be too late, but today is the day to confess my name, to confess that I am one true Son of God. Christ warns us because He loves us, congregation. Because He desires that we should find true safety by seeking Him truly with a true heart and a contrite spirit. For if we seek Him in that way, we can be totally sure that our seeking will never be in vain, that, that He will never cast us out, that we will not die in our sins, Yes, says J.C. Ryle, Christ is the light of the world. And as the light of the world, he is that for us as well as for others, if we humbly follow him and cast our souls on him and become his disciples. So let us not, like thousands, waste our lives in doubting and arguing and reasoning, but let us simply follow. That's what Christ is inviting us to here, simply to follow him find life and forgiveness in him. Christ is offering us the true freedom from the slavery to sin with the assuring words, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, congregation of Christ is not received on his own terms as the Son of God. If he is not received in in light of his witness, in light of the testimony that that he is God's son, then he is not received at all. This congregation is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It is is essential to our entire system of doctrine. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus, whoever confesses him as the, the son of God, says the apostle Paul, shall be saved, and whoever believes in him shall never be put to shame. This word says, Paul, is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your ears. It's in your heart. The, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Christ isn't simply looking for our resolutions as good as they may be, but Christ is is looking for us. He is seeking us. Isn't this precise that some of you have already read and discussed in your small groups how Christ wants us to draw strength from His love and how the only thing that qualifies us for His love, says Dane Ortland, is that we don't deserve it. For He doesn't just want you to be forgiven, He says, but He wants you. This is the son of God's deepest desire. This is what he prayed on the eve of his crucifixion. This is what he continues to pray today, that, Father, I desire they also whom you have given me may be with me. And so we must see this morning, congregation, that Christ is, is worthy. He is a worthy Savior. The same Christ who is worthy to, to take the scroll and open its seals, is worthy of our worship. As our confession says, He is the true and eternal Son of God, the Almighty, whom we invoke, worship, and serve. And so we are to be like Mary in Luke chapter 10, totally captured by the words of the Son of God, sitting as close to Him as she possibly could because she wanted to hear His every word because His words were life because his words were, were light in the midst of, of a dark world for her. He was worthy of her worship. He was worthy of, of her praise. He was worthy of her all and her everything. And Christ is summoning us to see that and to believe that this morning. He, he speaks to us. He says to you and me, I, I am who I have said I am. I am the Son of God, the light of the world. I am your only Savior. There is no other. In verses 28 and 29, Christ speaks of his being lifted up. And as he does, so he is, of course, making allusion to his death on the cross. He is going to be lifted up in accordance with the will of the Father to make atonement for the sins of the world. And he's saying, there all will know. There we, we come to know that Christ really is who he, who he says he is. And it was there beholding the, the wonder of the cross and the manner in which he, he breathed his last, that confession came out of the heart of that, of that Roman centurion that surely this, this man was the Son of God. And so the cross of Christ cast its shadow over the last... 2,000 years of human history, and it testifies that this Jesus really is, and he, who He says He is, He really is the Son of the living God. We know that as He hung upon the cross, the veil in the temple was, was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying for all time that, that in Christ the Holy of Holies had been opened up to us. The, the way to the Father had been, had been opened wide. So it is only proper that we should invoke him. It's only proper that we should should call upon him and and pray in his name because he is worthy. Because he has proven himself be worthy of our worship. Throughout the Bible, various men are are rebuked for allowing others to, to worship them. In Revelation, for example, when John is tempted to to worship the angel. What does the angel say? He says, you must not do that. For I am not worthy. Worship God, says the angel. But in the Bible, when Jesus is worshipped, he never stops anyone. Christ himself said earlier on in chapter 5 of John's gospel, the Father has given all judgment to the Son so that all may honor the Son. Just as they honor the Father. As Hebrews 1 records, when God brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And when John takes into the scene of the heavenly throne room, he, he tells that there the angels in heaven are, are singing Christ's praise. They cast their crowns before him, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And from these various passages, boys and girls, we discover the response that Jesus requires of us. He requires that we give Him honor. Because Christ really is the Son of God, He is worthy of our worship and our wonder. Reflecting the deity of Christ and the worship that is due Him, J.C. Ryle writes, Let us consider whether it is possible to make too much of Christ we have ever thought so, let us cast aside the thought forever. For in his nature as God and his office as mediator, he is worthy of all honor. He that is one with the Father, the giver of life, the King of kings, the coming judge, can never be too much exalted. For the one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so if we desire salvation, he says, let us lean our whole weight on this mighty Savior, for in so leaning we need not ever be afraid. For Christ is the rock of ages. And he that builds his life on him shall never be confounded, neither in sickness, nor in death, nor in the day of judgment. Indeed, the hand that was nailed to the cross is almighty, and the Savior of sinners is still mighty to save. This congregation is the good news of the gospel that we have communion even now with this Christ this morning. We have communion with this Christ who is the Son of God and the light of the world. He says in Revelation 3 verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and I will dine with him and he with me. Under the shadow of his wings, says John Owen, we sit down quietly and safely because we place our trust in him. Congregation, if you have heard Christ's testimony, if you have come to believe his witness, then give him your life. For he is worthy. Ascribe to him glory and render him honor and beauty of holiness. Worship the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we come before you again and we call upon the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and give thanks for him. Lord, we thank you in the fullness of time you sent him into the world and that he revealed himself to us as the way to the Father being the divine Son of God, we know that only He was able to do that for us. And so, Father, may we consider the glory of Christ. May we stand in awe and wonder at the work of Christ. May we give Him our worship. May Your Spirit work in us, Lord, to give Him our praise to cause us to live in service to Him for all our days. This we ask in his name and for.